Welcome to Finding the Front, brought to you by the proudly West Australian company, Euros Hartleys. This is a podcast series where we take time out to get to know the story behind the people who front some of Western Australia's leading companies. We look back at some of the moments in their life and career that shaped the journey to being the leader they are today and provide you with some real insights into the way they think and approach things, both in business and in life. So get the volume adjusted in your car or your headphones sorted and settle in for a great story. Here is your Finding the Front host, Tim Banfield. Hey everyone, and thanks for tuning in. Our very first guest for the first episode of Finding the Front is David McGeorge. David is the Managing Director of ASX-listed company SRG Global, stock code SRG, a position he has held since 2014. For those of you who don't know, SRG Global is an engineering-led global specialist asset services, mining services and construction group built to solve complex problems across the entire asset lifecycle. In doing a little bit of research around SRG Global, It was fascinating to see that its long history dates back some 50 years. As an engineering and construction specialist, it began its life working on the Snowy Mountains hydroelectric scheme back in 1961, and has since, over its life, gone on to work on some of the most well-known buildings in Australia, such as the Sydney Tower, which is often better known as the A&P Tower, the highest structure in the Southern Hemisphere at the time, the Hyatt Hotel, Observation City, Burswood Casino, Central Park, Optus Stadium and the Gorgon Project in WA. The first dam anchoring of the Chichester Dam and also Stadium Australia in New South Wales. The Auckland Harbour Bridge in New Zealand. The Emirates Office Tower in Dubai. The Great Flinders Street Station. And also Etihad Stadium in Melbourne. And the Sky Tower in Brisbane, just to name a few. Quite impressive really. I first met David back in 2002 when we had both moved to Sydney for work and listening to his journey through this podcast reveals a great story and definitely provides some excellent insights into the moments and the people that have shaped him into the leader he is today and the way he approaches his role with SRG Global but also his life in general. Great to have you along David. Yeah thanks Tim. Really happy to be here, and if it's okay with you, I might just call you Banners from now on, if that that works for you. Works for me, mate. Thank you. So, Dave, listen, thanks for coming on the show. We're really just, as our pioneering episode, we're looking to try and learn a little bit more about the people behind the companies, and um, you've been in your role since 2014, so you've got a, a good handle on how SRG operates. But more than that, what we're looking to do is just sort of see what's your background and how's it evolved to get to the position you're in. So you grew up in Melbourne. What a fantastic place that is. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing, just to put a bit of a scene to, to our listeners. Well, it was pretty simple upbringing. Banners, as you would probably know, having known me for a long time, sort of I was one of four, four kids. I was the third, third child, so very much the Jan Brady of the, of the group that got, uh, that, that got ignored. Great existence. You know, loved my mum and dad. Gave me a lot of opportunities, uh, both from a you know, a business perspective, but also from a you know, sporting perspective as well. Sort of you know, really simple bringing, love the breach, love going surfing with dad, you know, did all the things that normal kids would do in terms of footy, tennis, and a lot of other different sports. And you know, a really happy, a happy existence and one that um, I look back on with a lot of, lot of fond memories now that I have my own kids, own kids as well. So what, what part of Melbourne did you grow up in? Grew up in Black Rock, uh, which is sort of down the bayside sort of way, sort of down sort of Sandringham, Sandringham sort of end of town, 
you know, live at five houses from the school. I went to a local Catholic school called St. Joseph's. My, my mum's parents lived at the end of the street, so I probably almost spent more time at uh, my grandparents than I did my own parents during those early days. And my nana in particular, you know, I was exceptionally close to her and, you know, she was almost like a second mother to me. And you know, that's something that, you know, I really, yeah, it was a really happy, happy existence. And, and you know, I was given every sort of, every opportunity and, you know, and it's something that, yeah, it was a great upbringing. Yep. And so what did your parents do as the, their careers in terms of their, their upbringing to, to keep a family of four going like you guys? Yeah, so dad was a, a sales manager at Hume Doors and, and Timber was sort of his main, his main career. And you know, dad loved his, loved his sport. He's a very fit man. He you know, ran a lot of marathons, loved his tennis. I think he played footy till he was nearly 40. Because I do remember when he was coaching, I was in, in, the early, in my early days, was sort of hanging on one of his legs as he's giving the three-quarter time speech, which I'm pretty sure he sanitized because there was a two or three-year-old holding onto his leg at the same time. But um, you know, he, he did that and mum raised us four kids and you know, I think that's something that dad was very proud of. He was sort of very simple values on life and I think he was really about creating a great environment for his family. He paid the house off by the time he was 25 but you know, he, he did an amazing job raising four kids and, and allowing mum to, to really spend all that time at home with us and you know, we, we didn't have flash holidays or you know, a flash lifestyle but it was a very happy lifestyle and I sort of look back and I'm quite amazed that they were able to raise us the way they did, um, you know, with just off dad's wage. And, you know, dad, I think, did a really good job doing that. So you mentioned sports. So your dad was a footballer, because I do know that you are too. Um, who did your dad play for? Played for a lot of clubs. He Primarily, Bo Morris was his, made, was his main club, but he coached uh, for a lot of years. So he captain coached different, um, captain coached Bo Morris, captain coached Black Rock, in Bond Beach, played at Southern Stars. I think he had a lot of a lot of different clubs. He'd play Saturday and Sunday, and you know, it was very much a big part of his of his existence growing up. And it's it's one that I think taught him a lot of life lessons, and it was sort of interesting. Unfortunately for me, my you know, dad passed away, as you would know, fourteen years ago, sort of quite young at sixty two. And it's something that was amazing at his funeral, just the amount of people that came and had played with him at different clubs, and just the impact he'd left on them was just something that uh, I almost felt jealous in a way, listening to some of the stories of just how dad had inspired people. And he was very, I wouldn't say a simple man, Banners, but he was just a real man's man and, and you know, very much you know, the basic values about manners and respect and looking people in the eye. And it's something that, uh, you know, it was great to sort of hear those stories uh, at what was probably a pretty difficult, a pretty difficult time. And uh, I guess, as you would know, you know he, he left a huge mark uh, on me and it's something that you know, really still lives with me today. That love of football clearly was shared through yourself and your brother. Now, just a brief snippet on your football career. I mean, you, you are a, a passionate Richmond supporter. I know that much. Tell us a little bit about, I mean, there's some people in your life that really have been able to uh, mould you as the person you are through your football career. And, and, and I think with sport in general, it's enabled, as much as your dad's shown, a sharing networking opportunity to, to get involved in. And um, so just tell us a little bit about how your football was sort of you know, moulded you. As you would know, Ben, I'm not super comfortable talking about myself, but you know, sport and you know, particularly football has, has left a huge mark on me, more from the, the team sport aspect. And I was asked this once in, a, in an interview for a, a newspaper uh, from a business perspective and how I compared business to, to sport. And you know, what I loved about football is that you either did the work or you didn't, and it was very immediate 
feedback. You know, you either won or you didn't. And if you hadn't done the work during the preseason or your your team wasn't bonding together, the scoreboard told you very quickly. Whereas probably business sometimes, particularly with strategy, you can take a long period of time. And I think uh, sports are great learning learning tool, particularly for young people in terms of the different life lessons that you get in terms of, you know, resilience. You're not always going to win, um, but, you know, needing to sort of to get to come together as a team and, you know, really bond over a shared a shared purpose and a shared passion. And uh, it's something that, you know, I apply a lot of what I did from the football days into into business. And, you know, I had some great role models, you know, along the way. Probably Trevor Barker was probably the biggest of those. You know, I was a young kid from, you know, from Black Rock sort of playing you know, playing local footy at Bo Morris as, as a 17-year-old in the seniors and Barks came down in 1991 and this was at the end of his career at St Kilda and he was going to coach Sandringham the following year and, and he had a chat to me and you know, brought down this local kid who um, you know, was pretty, wasn't the biggest uh, biggest of humans as, as you would know and uh, uh, you know, he, he took, a, took a punt on me and, and showed a lot of belief and uh, probably made it difficult for me in the, the first couple of years in my... Uh, football career at Sandingham, he really made me work for it. And I think that, that helped me a lot, not only in football, but in life. Uh, it wasn't handed to me on, on a platter. And I was probably someone who lacked a bit of belief early on, not so much almost just from a football perspective, but also probably in life. You know, dad was, dad was someone who was very much big on humility and to not get ahead of yourself. And, and that's something I'm very big on being, on being humble. But probably there are times there that you could have had a bit more support to build that confidence. So it took me some time to sort of really realise that you know, from a football perspective. And I think it's probably been the same way in business yep. as well. And, and so for me, Trevor had a, a huge impact and you know, unfortunately he, you know, he passed away at 37, but he was like a, like a second father in that phase. And uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where there's probably two, two men that have left such a big impact on my life. And I'd love both of them to see where I am today and, and unfortunately that's not possible. I still what, remember watching him take those magnificent marks for St Kilda and you know clearly was a larger than life figure off the field as well. Just tell us a little bit more about Trevor in terms of his persona off the field to everyone else you know like he was a larger than life character. I think for the probably the younger people that may listen to this he's almost like the Buddy Franklin of, of that era and he was a huge a huge figure I remember when he came to my 21st, you know, he, it was incredible. Just He had that aura about him, but probably what a lot of people wouldn't have known about Barks, it took quite a shy, a shy guy yeah, and yeah. You know, very humble. And it was probably more the, the aspects that people, people saw, like the bronze Aussie, the, you know, the blonde locks, but he was a really hard worker. And, and I think from a football perspective, he was ahead of his time in terms of the preparation that he put into things and the planning and and just had an amazing ability to bring people together. And Sandringham at that time was a team, I think it won two premierships in, in existence, and, and it had been around for nearly a century, and it's one that you know, we won two flags in three years with Barks, and his, his ability to bring people together was just exceptional, and it's something that you know, I've certainly applied, both from a sporting perspective, probably more, more so in business, and to me, if you can sort of bring people together to something you know, that you've got a common purpose, um, you can really achieve great things. And that's something that really Barks left a huge mark on me in terms of his ability to do that. Thanks for sharing that. So we go on in life and, you know, you've gone past your stage in Melbourne. And I must say, you know, you're, you've ended up with your football career being 
as I say, captain of the VFL for that year, but included in the Sandringham Team of the Century, which is quite an honour. You've then gone on into the, your corporate career and you know, your business career, and, and, and I know that's when our paths crossed when you moved to Sydney. So what, did you have any ideas about what you wanted to do when you went to school or when you left school or when you, when you went to university? or you know, What was your ambitions at the time? Given Dad was a manager of something, certainly that was probably the extent of it at that point. I mean, school to me, I was a pretty natural student. It came to me fairly, fairly easily. And I remember at the end of year 11, I was probably playing up a little bit in year 11, as probably um, year 11 students might do. And there was a teacher called Mr. Wintle, and, and he pulled me at the end of the year and he, he told me I was going to go nowhere. And I think he was just using reverse psychology because I was just that determined in year 12 to show him that I was going to be something and uh, did really well in year 12 um, and worked hard. You know, I was sort of playing footy as well at the time and enjoying both and uh, sort of picked Bachelor of Business in Marketing at, at uni and that was a really good decision. I, I think to me, it almost doesn't matter what course you choose, but it's just the actually the ability to finish something. And I was really lucky in that the reason I chose that course was a four-year course and the third year I had what was called a sandwich year and you, you could go out you go out in the business and work for a year and then come back and, and apply what you've learned in your last year. And I was lucky enough that BHP uh, took me on in that year. So I was sort of working there with BHP in the city in the third year and then went back and they actually kept me on part-time whilst I finished uni. And that was something that really helped me a lot and sort of probably gave me a bit of clarity in terms of, you know, I really liked the, the business aspect, the commercial aspect, the numbers, the marketing, the strategy, and that really sort of set me on set me on my path and you know I'd, I can't quite remember how many years, it was about five or six years with BHP and, and really enjoyed that phase but probably felt you know without being controversial, it was a very big business and, and to me I just sort of felt like I could kind of coast along with and, and could you really make an impact and you know I've been very big in my life, I really want to make a difference in, in you know, whatever you do and I sort of felt that with a company of that size probably the ability to make a difference so it had given me great Great grounding, great training, but I was sort of ready to uh, ready to look at doing something different. That that time in BHP is that what took you through to Sydney at that time? No, I left BHP and joined Brambles, really big company like BHP. And look, they're both terrific companies. So I'm, I'm not not knocking either, but probably Brambles is very much very big down to the business unit prop P and L, and each manager owned their business. So it was almost a conglomerate of a lot of different businesses yeah. built up into one. And I I really liked that that you almost had a playground to to really grow and develop you know, a business. And I, I was sort of working with Brambles you know, throughout those Melbourne days and they gave me the opportunity to move up to Sydney with them. And it was an interesting decision at the time. I'd sort of, I was playing really good footy at Sandringham. I just captained Victoria, was probably playing the best footy I, I've ever played. And, and sort of my wife, Jackie, and I made the call, well, we've got maybe three or four years left of football. And look, it was semi-professional. It wasn't like it was the AFL. And or we had 30 to 40 years of business, so we decided to make the leap and, and go to Sydney. I think it was the best decision we ever made in terms of taking a chance, you know, going, and going on an adventure and really backing ourselves to, um, to make something of, of our life. It's an interesting move when you move into Sydney. I mean, clamouring around trying to find a place to rent. Tell me, with the job at the time, um, which you had quite a senior role at that point, was it easy to you know, move into that cultural effect of, um, of Brambles? To me, I was lucky. I mean, I knew the knew the people there, and I had a lot of people backing me, and, and had belief in me. and And it was one that I'm I'm a pretty driven person, and whatever I put my mind to, I really want to want to achieve. I'm sort of very big on getting the best out of yourself, no, no matter what you do. And 
I, I'd love the Sydney life. It was a great experience. You know, we had our second child, James, you know, at, at, you know, very early on in our days at Sydney. And without family there, it sort of made it you know, sort of more important to sort of grab that connection with, uh, with friends. And that's where yeah. you, know, you and I met. And I think you know, football was a great connector in, in terms of, you know, we played footy together in Sydney. And it's sort of, you, you make 40 or 50 instant friends. And I think that made the transition to, uh, to Sydney far easier because whilst, you know, we couldn't train the way we used to, certainly just being able to sort of meet different people and, and build that connection and, and make friendships which endure today. And that was probably when you know, Jackie and I ultimately moved to, to WA with the kids, you know, had yourselves and, and four or five other really close friends from that, from that time that sort of made it much easier to transition again. And, and that's one that, yeah, the Sydney experience was a great one and I was pretty lucky after the first 12 or 18 months, I got promoted to um, quite a senior role. I was sort of on the, on the executive team of Asia Pacific for, for CHEP, which was a division for Brambles. And I think I was 29 or so at that stage. and was probably quite, quite young, probably it was before my time in some respects, but just had some people with, with belief in me. And it, uh, you know, it really, really set me up. And I think I had just so much learning in those first few years in terms of that particular time in Sydney, in terms of what makes you tick as a person. And probably more than anything, just to be yourself. I think sort of when you're promoted young, like that, you almost try and be something you're not. And I used to always joke, you know, I was 28, 29, 30, sort of, I can't wait till I reach a point where I I can actually dress my age in some ways, because I almost felt like I had to dress like a 50-year-old. And (laughs) and as you would know, probably it's hard to tell today, but at the time I was, I I looked very young and I was quite interesting. You know, if I wore a white shirt and I went shopping at David Jones or, or Meyer. Someone would always come up to me and ask me, "Can you just tell me where the where a certain section is?" And and so I think I probably, in some ways, in those first couple of years of that executive role, was trying to be something I wasn't. Yeah, sure. And, and I think it was a great lesson for me. But I try and impart that knowledge on others. Just be yourself, because ultimately, for me, it's exhausting trying to be something you're not. And I look back now, and those first couple of years was it was exhausting in some ways in terms of just trying to prove yourself. And that's certainly that. You know, that was just a great time for me to sort of go through that learning and you know, make different decisions and some things you might have done differently. But just the overwhelming sense of just being yourself, it's really something that I really try and take through to, to, um, to everything I do today uh, in business. So you moved from uh, Shep Brambles into Biz Industries. Yeah. That's what brought you over to Western Australia. Just tell us a little bit about Biz Industries in terms of your role there. Yeah, so I, I transferred across to Biz, Biz sort of running one of their divisions um, in their steel services business, and that was a, a great role. And then ultimately, over, overtook all the um, states for New South Wales, Victoria, SA, and TAS for their steel services business. And then that business ultimately got sold to KKR, Bramble's Industrial Services, and Cleanaway KKR, the big private equity firm, got sold in 2006. You know, worked through that business for quite a period of time up until I think it was 2011, where uh, you know, they gave me an opportunity to uh, to come to Perth and really try and bring the businesses together potentially prepare it for a float. So Dave, with that experience in mind, it brings us to, you know, your current standing in life. You're, you're married with three beautiful kids. You've got one that's just left school, one that's about to leave school, and you've got young Hamish at year eight. And so, you know, that you've got a great role now. You're working with um, SRG Global. You've been there for a long time. When you started out in this role, it's a balance between personal and professional. The whole, the whole of life is like that. How did you manage to balance that and you know, still continue to foster a great relationship with your staff, the culture of SRG, but then also you know, the work-life balance? 
generally you're never going to have the balance perfectly right. And, and I always think in the early stages of a new role, the balance is going to be far more weighted to work. And, and, and that just is what it is. I think you know, these are you know, very lucky to have this role. You know, you're, you're in charge of a lot of people and that comes with a lot of responsibility for a lot of families that you're, that you're feeding. And I, always, I think any role like this, the early days, the balance is much more weighted to work. But I've probably been someone that knows myself pretty well in terms of what makes me tick and I'm, I'm very big on managing energy so I, I really put everything I have uh, into my work but then I know I need that private time for myself. I'm not super social. Um, you know, I've probably found some different tools that work for me and I think you've just got to, every individual's different they have to work what, what things work for them to sort of manage that energy and I was sort of introduced to, to meditation uh, in the year 2000, sort of went on a course to the AGSM and uh, it was a hypnotist. It was one of the sessions, and uh, I was probably someone that struggled to switch off at the time. And he introduced me to meditation, and uh, that's something that I've done yeah. forever since. And look, to me, it's that's just one avenue. There's there's many different. And I, I'm I'm not one to sort of advocate. Well, this is going to work, or that's going to work. I mean, for me, it's it's whatever works for you. And sort of having that really quite simple time with my family is really important to me. To that enables me to switch off. And I probably find that if I socialise too much, it just probably doesn't allow me to manage that energy the way that um, the way that I'd like because when you're at work and, and you're leading the business you've got to be on because people are looking to you for that energy but in some ways you're almost on you're always on show because people are looking at you and they're taking their cues from you and I've got a really interesting trait when I think I frown so I'm not, I sort of have to tell people early on look if I'm frowning don't worry about it that's just what I do when I think people sort of look at you and think well hang on he's frowning what's what's the problem <laughs> but it's not a problem. I'm just thinking. So you know, I guess they're the sorts of things. But you know, I'm, I've been very lucky with this RG role. It's a really good business and, and one that was sort of interesting coming in. It was a probably a business. It was a really small business, 30 million market cap, about 170 people. You know, it wasn't a big business, but you know, it, it had a lot of capability, but probably in some ways lacked a bit of self-esteem. But probably more importantly, it was a very siloed environment. And it's one that you know, I'm, I'm very big on team. And, and you either win as a team or you lose as a team. And it's one that really trying to break down some of those barriers to work together as one was super important to me early on, along with having courage. That's one that I'm very big on courage to put yourself out there, but also have courage as a business in terms of what can we be as a company. And I felt with SRG that you know, we weren't holding a pair of twos here. We, we had a terrific business with enormous capability. And the only thing that was limiting us was not our capability. It was the ability of the people to come together and actually combine the business and take it forward. And that's something that you know, we really worked hard on that early on. And it was changing cultures, not, not easy. And, and you know, there were some difficult decisions to be made early on. But I think it's probably, to be honest, taken seven years in my view, where we are today from a cultural perspective, from a belief perspective, and having the courage about what we can be as a company. We're probably at a better space now than we've ever been. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's been some bumps along the road. You know, we've made a lot of different decisions. But when you're trying to transform something and sort of really helping it get to its potential, you know, you've got to make difficult decisions and, and you're going to have to change directions at times and, and, and make different decisions and look back and go, well, I probably would have done some of those things differently. But you've just got to keep moving forward. And, and it's one that I think we've done. When, when you started out, did you have any sort of ideas on modelling yourself or, or the business on any other company or any other leader that you you know that you've grown up admiring or just sort of you went around about it with in a in a method that you thought was appropriate for the time and given the 
management personnel and the people you had and the teams you were looking to build? It's your, your footprint. Yeah, look, I think it's, it's one that I'll answer it from a personal leadership perspective yeah. and then from a business perspective. And to me, from a leadership perspective, it's not so much modelling yourself on anyone, it's just being yourself. It's sort of interesting, Ben, as I went on, a, I was lucky within the Brambles days, they, uh, they sent me to INSEAD in France for six weeks on a management program. So there was, it was a really interesting, you know, quite a life-changing experience in some ways, but there was 70 on the course, I think from 59 different countries, which was quite amazing. And it was really interesting that first session was very different because you kind of, you've got all these you know, high-powered executives, you know, for lack of a better word, and they basically brought out butcher's paper and coloured texters. And they, and they said, we want you to draw your life, which is, you know, I've got Brambles have spent all this money wow. and I've yeah. been given some uh, colouring in to do. But it was really interesting the way it opens up a different part of your brain. And, you know, what I did, I drew my life story on the outside. And in the middle, I drew what was core to me. I drew my family. I drew a pair of running shoes because I'm very big on, you know, healthy body. I drew a brain, you know, healthy mind. I drew a lion which was the line from The Wizard of Oz, because I'm very big on courage, and I drew a gold medal. And that was about just being the best you can be in what you do. And I think to me, from a leader, leadership perspective, you just got to stick to what's core to you, because that helps your decision-making. And, and in these sort of roles, it's ultimately your judgment. It's not about being a, a technical expert. It's, it's your judgment and the ability to make the right decisions. And when you've got to make difficult decisions or make the call, you just got to go back to what's core to you as an individual. What defines you? Absolutely. I think yeah. it just gives you, it's, it's like yeah. a company, it's, it's no different from a company perspective in terms of, you know, what's core to the company? What are the core values of the company? And to me, you know, it's not about what sits on the wall. It's well, what is core to this company? It was, one, it was one of the first questions I asked when we joined SAG. What's our reason for being? You know, why do we exist? Yep, and and really tapped into the business. Well, what are we great at? And it's a you know we make the complex simple, a really good technical engineering business. And what do we do and do well? You know we make the complex simple, and, and that that's really that really embarked us on the journey into where do we want to be as a company, and what's going to be core to us. And I talk about it on every call that I make. And you know what do we you know what do we stand for? As a company, I live for the challenge. You've got to like a challenge at SRG and you've got to like that environment. You know, smarter together, that's all about we're a team. Whatever we do, we do as a team. And we will live or die as a team. Never give up. And that's, that's just resilience. I mean, life's not going to be perfect. Business is not going to be perfect. Contracting's not going to be perfect. But you just don't give up. And you have each other's backs. That's all around. You know, we're in this together. We want everyone to succeed and we want everyone to be safe. And, and that, to me... Others might say core values, whatever, you know, but it's what do we stand for so that when you sit there and you have to make different decisions, what, what's going to guide you? And that to me, what you stand for, both from a company perspective, but also as a core individual, you know, they're going to help guide your decisions. And if you're true to yourself, you'll make good decisions. You're not going to get everyone right, but if you stick to what's core to you, then at least you, know, you, you can sort of go home at the end of the day and know, well, I've, I've given it everything I've got and we've stuck true to what we are as a company. And, and what, what I am as an individual. So in the, the seven years or, or so since you've taken on the role, has there been some significant moments within there where you've gone, gee, this is, this is actually a bit, bit harder than I thought? Or like, for example, whether it's an acquisition, whether it's a staff issue, whether it's someone you had to hire or whether it's someone leaving, 
you know, things that have molded the business along the way that it's almost produced character. It's been a character building experience. Can you sort of highlight any of those that have occurred over that period? Probably in the early phases, it was more around people. Yeah, and really trying to build a leadership group that ran deep. I mean, in sporting organisations now, you know, look in, in the football clubs, you know, it's not a one or two captains. It's it's very much a deep leadership group, and it's one that really, you know, the early phases was just getting the right people that really wanted to own it and really wanted to be to be a part of it at that um at that leadership level. I think there's probably two moments that have been challenging but ultimately rewarding certainly when SRG and GCS merge was was one it was, it was probably one that you know, from a strategic perspective it was very much around taking the access element of, of GCS and they were market leader in that and bringing out sort of engineering maintenance skills as being a market winning solution for customers and it's one that certainly we got pretty quick results from a customer perspective but the reality is the market and you know, the investor market didn't like it and probably struggled to understand it I mean I could see it and we're really seeing it play out today and it was really around holding your nerve in terms of well this is the strategy this is the vision this is the business I'm completely confident on where we're going our our people are behind us the customers are getting it and it's just everyone else will catch up in time and it's have you, you can't run the business by opinion and committee from others and like we knew the strategy and where we were going and you know maybe I could have communicated it better at that time but that's that was probably a pretty difficult period and I think culturally as well when you're merging companies it takes time for the culture to meld and, and it's one that you know, it's probably taken us two, two and a half years to really yeah. get that culture yep. going and, and, and you're sort of seeing the evidence of that um, in sort of our recent results and the sort of things that we're winning, the moving to annuity earnings, the type of customers that we're, uh, that we're winning business with and we're really getting traction and then probably the second defining moment came along which was COVID. You know, we we're really starting to hit our straps and yeah. COVID, COVID hit and it was a really difficult period from a leadership perspective i mean i remember i took the call and all new zealand's just shut like everything like probably in australia was a little bit different that you know mining construction kind of kept going new zealand had a shut and i I think as a leader it was a really challenging time and said well how long is this going to go for is it is it six days is it six weeks is it six months so what decision do you make And, and, and you're you're only ever going to know in hindsight as to what was the right decision and it was one that you know we're probably lucky that we just decided well we're just we're running this for the long term you know that that's that's what we're doing you know our, our dna are our people and without without our people then we don't have a business so we were just we're just going to ride it out and, and we backed our people and our people came on board and sort of worked with us through that phase and we're probably lucky particularly with new zealand that i think we went for about six or eight weeks but probably the rest of you know the Australian business, we could kind of limp through, and there was sort of partial shuts, and and we were able to get through okay. But it was just sort of managing with no certainty in terms of well, what horizon are we faced with here? Like, you know, I'll, if it's a decision, this is for six months. Was a very different decision. Is it to is it six weeks? But is it two years? I mean, we just didn't know. And I think that's one that, at the end of the day, like I sort of said earlier in the discussion, we go back to what's core to you. You go back to what's core. To the company, you go back to the strategy and the vision in the long term, and and that's what you base your decision making on. And unfortunately, you know, being a public company at times, you're judged on very short term metrics, and you just can't run your business that way. So for me, it was an element of ignoring the noise and really sticking to what you know we believed as a business would take us, sort of maintain what we had, and ensure that you know in five years' time we'd keep delivering against that 
strategy and not sort of taking that short-term view. But that, that was a pretty difficult difficult period, that's for sure. Well, I don't think you're alone, but, I mean, the fact you had to navigate 450 staff uh, through that, and, and it's come out fine in the end? Yeah, I mean, look, obviously, you know, that particular year was a challenging year for us financially, so yeah. there was certainly, you know, it wasn't our best year from that perspective, but we rebounded exceptionally well this year, and I think that to me is when, when you stick to what your core is and people see that, they buy in with you. And I think for us that our people are very much bought into, you know, when I talk about culturally, we've really got to a point now, probably stronger culturally than we've ever been in my time there. And I think it's because we've had some of these you know, bumps in the road and challenges thrown in front of us and we've really stuck to what's core to us that people say, well, they, you know, this company is really, really want to work for this company. And, it's, and we've probably found it pretty interesting in recent times, like labour and labour challenges and employee turnover is a real hot topic. But, you know, we, we've navigated it really well and probably haven't had some of the challenges that perhaps some others have. And I, I really do think that some of the decisions that we've made through that difficult time have meant that people really like our business. They've stuck with us and, and, and they can see a really bright future in front of them. Just moving topics a little bit, we, we touched on COVID. How do you see the WA economy going at the moment? I mean, you're in a great position to be able to see what, the pipeline looks like in terms of construction works, not only civil but mining, et cetera. What, what are you seeing out there and, and what's your view on that but also the way Western Australia is attacking the current COVID environment without having to get political? Just an observation. How, how are you seeing things unfold? Look, it's a pretty interesting dynamic and, and probably in some ways, you know, what I spoke about around COVID is almost a – microcosm of what you know perhaps some of our um, state and federal leaders are dealing with at the moment I mean from a WA perspective so WA is about 45 percent of our business about 45 percent in the west in the east and 10 percent offshore I mean the WA economy is extremely strong I get so I've probably in some ways looked at the investment market with a bit of amusement in some ways in terms of and maybe it's it's the ability not to travel here but the, the WA economy has been exceptionally strong in the last 12 months, and it's got an extremely buoyant five years in front of it on all fronts, you know, whether it's construction, mining, energy, maintenance, you know, some of the new energy that's coming in to play. And look, you know, to me, it's an extremely buoyant time, and, it, and it's one that you know I think we've got an exceptionally strong f- five-year period in front of us. And I'm sort of probably surprised a little bit in terms of from an investment perspective that it hasn't sort of been – Perhaps probably from perhaps the miners and others themselves, the market's really boring, but from a contracting perspective, it, it's not the same. And there's, for whatever reason, a huge fear from that perspective. But I, I think it's it's the best playing field that I've ever experienced in my time at SRG. And, and I look at the east coast of Australia, which, you know, is a big part of our business yes. as well. And, and probably in some ways, I'm starting to see the fruits of that coming forward, certainly from a construction perspective, a lot of discussion around all this infrastructure spend on the East Coast, but probably to me, 12 months behind the West. And and, and really, I, I think it's really only the next 12 months that we'll really start to see that kick into gear in terms of what's really shovel ready. But I mean, if you're going to, going to live anywhere in the world, both from a personal living perspective, but also from a business perspective, I mean, Australia and New Zealand are terrific countries and economies to be involved in. And uh, I look at our business today and I'm certainly more than happy that 90% of our revenues are generated in this part of the world. We're starting to run out of a bit of time here, but um, 
I think from what I can glean a lot from what you've just sort of highlighted is that your career has been one of moulding a lot as you went on a, on a series of principles that you've felt very strongly about and it's come through in not only your personal life but in your work environment and the way that you've led not only your roles with Chep but Brambles but now here with SRG Global. It's, it's interesting as, as you go through life, you know, you need those principles to base yourself on, but you've been able to put them into practice on a general and a, and a specific micro basis. Do you think that you're going to be able to continue to do it? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a big job. And when what you've been able to do is apply it at every stretch. And I, I know that per- personally. Um, do you keep, how do you keep motivated? Look, I think for me, you know, my role is very much creating an environment for, for others to to achieve their best, and that's certainly in the way I see my role in the business. And and now it's less around the doing for me; it's more around ensuring we've got the right environment, the right culture for uh, for others to succeed. So in some ways, my role's become a little bit easier in terms of the team that we've put in place. But look, I'm I'm more energised than ever in terms of the pathway we're on, the strategy that we're on. But look, I'm really lucky. I mean, you, you know, my wife Jackie, and I, I think in these roles. It, it's very much it's a partnership, and Jackie's incredibly supportive of me. I mean, you know, we've got a terrific balance in terms of you know I work hard, but when I go home with my family, I'm with my family, and it's one that you know we you know, we're, we're pretty simple on the weekend. It's uh, tracksuit pants and UGG boots around the fire on a Friday night with a nice bottle of wine. Just the two of us is what we really look forward to, and look, you know, we've got a a, a terrific, um, terrific marriage and a terrific partnership, and that certainly helps me from my perspective to do this role and, and we very much see ourselves as a team doing this role and I, I think that's something that you can't understate in these sort of roles in terms of it is very much a team role because if you don't have a supportive partner, very hard to effectively do these roles. So look, I'm, I'm more energised than ever and, and it's one that you know I'm really de- more determined than ever to keep driving the SRG business to become the business that I know we can be and, and in my view we're just getting started. Well, I think that's a good place to finish. Um, thank you, David, so much for sharing with us. It's been a real, real treat and um, a real insight, I think, for everyone that's been listening. I can't wait to do David McGeorge interview Mark 2 at some point, but in the meantime, thanks a lot and all the best for everything. We'll speak to you soon. Thanks, Panas. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding the Front, brought to you by the proudly West Australian diversified financial services company, Euros Harleys. If you like what you heard, please don't hesitate to tell your friends and subscribe to the podcast through your podcast host of choice. If you have any questions or would like to contact us, please email our fabulous producer, Bridget, on communications at euroshartleys.com or visit our website at www.euroshartleys.com. 